Hello there, and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on Twitter. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on Twitter. And uh, we were, you're, of course, jo- we are unjoined by anyone in particular. It's just us in our lovely Los Angeles office on this lovely Monday afternoon. And uh, Ben, how, what I miss? I was in Canada last week. Is television still around? Uh, for the most part, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty much just watching Mad Men at this stage. But yeah, it's it's there's apparently other things going on, dragons and and things. And there is no there is no TV. There's just Mad Men. For me, yes, absolutely. For the next month, that's that's the end of it all. What what but what happens in the future, Ben? <laughs> If I could answer that, then I'd be saying that I'm better than Don Draper, and that's just insane. That's just insane. That was a subtle reference to last night's episode, though. Hopefully not at all spoilery. No, not at all. Not at all. So the thing we kind of wanted to touch on, uh, bring up today in this in this, in this this humble podcast is something that kind of popped up over the weekend, which is a bunch of different commentary about the current state of late-night television, specifically late-night comedy. Yes, there were uh, there were a number of, of kind of subtle and less than subtle jabs at what's going on in the world of late night from uh, from primarily I'm gonna butcher this name, Liz. You better just. Oh, say I'll it. say it, Andre Debouchet. Andre Debouchet. And we're not even sure I'm saying that right. If Liz says it, then I can copy that. But otherwise, <laughs> it's gonna be a problem. Anyway, he's a he's a staff writer on the Conan O'Brien show or on Conan over on uh, TBS. But has been with the show since uh, or the, with the Conan team since uh, the Tonight Show days, I believe. Yeah, he's been around for for quite a while, and he is voicing his displeasure over the current state of of comedy with uh, a barrage of tweets that he admitted to knowing would get him in trouble, which I thought was kind of the most interesting aspect of the whole thing. Yeah. In that he knows he's going to probably have to delete these, but he wants them out there so that they'll exist and people will track them down and the discussion will start, which is a valuable thing to have, which is what you need yeah. to have these days, a disruptor. But uh, but no, he was uh, he was complaining about the celebrities and the pranks and the hashtag wars, as he called them, as well as the the uh, the lip syncing contests and and I think Liz you put it as as the game showifying of of late night television yeah and the thing the thing that's really interesting about this man's comments especially in relation to other conversations I've been having lately about the about the state of late night is he's not the only one who's taken notice of the fact that a lot of times uh, Jimmy Fallon now boils down to five minutes of watching celebrities have things thrown in their faces or you know play some sort of game show I mean in fact Jimmy Kimmel literally did. A seven-minute-long ga- family feud game show segment with the cast of Avengers. Like that's the thing that everyone watched. And they didn't watch the couch interview. They watched the uh, the cast of the Avengers screw around. Probably, perhaps under the influence of some tequila. Who knows for sure? <laughs> Certainly, there were references to drinking throughout the whole event, and they did not seem particularly serious about this about what was happening no no they they were very much enjoying themselves as i'm sure they're doing throughout their massive world tour right now mm-hmm. um but you're right i mean they're there i don't think that it's that it's news to anyone what jimmy fallon's done is is definitely changed the face of late night television what's i guess the argument that de boucher or du boucher is making is more that it's changing it too much and it's changing it across the board. Yeah, I think and I think what he's what he's kind of speaking about and reflecting is uh, the 
you know, old school approach to late night, which I think was very popularized by the uh, David Letterman, Conan O'Brien team up uh, on. Well, it wasn't it wasn't they weren't teamed up, but, you know, both Letterman and O'Brien were seen as very much, you know, purveyors of slightly offbeat comedy and a lot of comedy, a lot of comedy enthusiasts in the world, you know, reflect being very directly inspired by that sort of attitude. Uh, that sort of style of comedy, you know, with you know strongly strong character-based bits, off-the-wall approaches to things, that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I, I understand that argument, and I, I definitely understand that kind of comedian's mentality of wanting to protect something that's their own. Like he he said he said in the tweets that this was the prom king taking over or something that. Uh, he phrased it much better. But long to like the long to like to us learning how to cope. Like it was. Yeah, it was their mechanism for dealing with the world, which is something Louis C.K. puts very well in, in on his show, where he talks about how um, he had a heckler, and the heckler came out, and she said started complaining that he was being rude to her when he went after her for heckling, and he said, "You don't understand. This is the only time we have to be happy. We have these 10, 15 minutes on stage to say what we want to stay." And it's the only time we're going to be comfortable and, and get out what we need to get out. And I thought that was a very good way to, to put it. And they want to protect that and they want that to be their own. My argument for this is that I don't know why he'd expect that to exist anymore on broadcast network late night television. Well, especially a broadcast network late night television environment, which knows that, you know, they're going to have their viewership at night. But. You know that night, but like the bulk of the attention they're going to get, the bulk of the buzz they're going to build is through the online spreading of clips. Absolutely, and I mean which is something again that Fallon has very much pushed and yes. made his you know primary agenda. It's been his primary agenda from the very beginning, and from like from the early days, like his when he took over uh, Late Show, it was very much you know he had a digital producer embedded with the team right away and the show's always been very smart about how it uses digital and so yeah right now what they found is their niche is these game show elements and the question is is that bad for the state is that bad for the evolution of comedy in late night and I, I, I don't necessarily think that it is especially because there's just so much more late night now than there ever was it's not like Fallon is the only one influencing comedians out there because he's the only one who has a voice there's so many shows there's so many different ways that comedians can engage with the audience they want to engage with that it doesn't have to just be done on nbc at you know 11 p.m every every weeknight i mean and for the most part at least from my side of, of this looking into it I never enjoyed seeing what they did before with the celebrity guests specifically. What they did on their own, what Conan did with his own segments where he'd go on the road or where he'd, where he'd interact with, uh, with, with Andy Richter or where he'd just you know, have his opening monologue. That was something that he could make his own. But when they brought on the celebrity guests, they'd just sit there and talk to them and they had softball prepared answers and stories and stuff to go over and that is boring. I mean, mm-hmm. you really just don't want to see that. I like the idea of what Fallon's doing in the sense that it makes performers perform. Mm-hmm. It's not asking them to do anything too difficult, but it is asking them to actually be entertainers, which is why we want to watch them in the first place. And that's the fun of it. I mean, it's not all going to work. It's not all challenging. Tom Cruise throwing a football at a plate of glass that is shaped like his face or has his face etched into it, that's not necessarily you know a groundbreaking thing. But honestly... 
like seeing Bradley Cooper do his air guitar bit for seven minutes on you know live television and he's fully committed and it's utterly engaging and he wanders through the I mean that is just a star being born like that's something you really do want to see and have the you know the the power to put out there yeah and the thing that I find really interesting is the fact that you know the thing pushing celebrities out of their comfort zone does hopefully feel like fun for them especially because you know as any as from from the journalist side of things we've done the junkets where it's just the same questions over and over again tell us about your character tell us about the show answer this following you know what's your generic anecdote about the making of the thing at this point everything in late night is about trying to stand out and be different and all of these gimmicks are you know sometimes i imagine like on the celebrity side they're like oh god really like what what hoop am i literally jumping through tonight but at the same time like at least it's not at least it's not boring. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, it's all driven by that social media presence again. Like, it's all driven by the idea that if you want to hear that boring anecdote, there's still a place where you can find it. If you want to know that storyline, you're going to find it somewhere. But now you get the chance to see them do something that's wholly their own. And you're right, I do, I do see people have fun with it. Like, you see very specific celebrities who come out and are excited to be there. Now, what that has to say about stand-up comedy is is different or to me. Stand-up comedy or comedy, like the actual comedy elements. Exactly. Of the show. Yeah, that's a very different feel. Like you need, we still, you know, want to hope that Fallon's going to be bringing in good comedians with edgy material that are pushing certain boundaries, or just that they're going to have an outlet somewhere. That right. They're going to have a voice somewhere in some way that people can access it. I noticed that uh, you know, like a co- I was doing research on it, or digging up clips for an interview I did and Conan actually has been making a point of not just you know Conan has actually been really good about bringing in new comedians yeah. and re- exposing new voices that way in the stand up realm but they also like have a whole web distribution platform beyond mm-hmm. like the show which is just here's some great comedy from, from stand up comedians like with it under the U- the co- team co- Coco umbrella yeah yeah they really do and I, I feel like the internet you know is, is a huge market for these kind of things and yeah it would be nice to see them pop up on broadcast tv but broadcast tv is in a huge transition point right now they have to find things that are salable and frankly a lot of that just isn't right now so that they need they need to do what they need to do and complaining about it in this kind of way just seems kind of ignorant to me like it just i, I don't i don't think you're attacking the right beast I mean, I I agree that they're not attacking the right beast. I think, though, it is worth noting that, you know, we are looking... It, it is worth understanding his perspective that in his, you know, in, in some people's eyes, this institution of opportunities to create weird, magical moments on television is now drifting outside of the broadcast sphere. And, you know, the important thing, you know, we... We talk about the declining broadcast audience, but the fact remains that we're still talking about four million people watching something live. That's a lot of people, and that's a lot of people who might not normally have gotten the opportunity to be exposed to something new and unique that would catch their eye. Um, And, you know, everything is at this point is about curation and discovery. And if we lose that, if, if, you know, the Tonight Show becomes all games and no no surprises and no new, new, new ideas beyond you know what can we throw what can we make chris pratt throw across the room this week um you know that that could that could be damaging in the long run you're right and i i think that i think one of the things that's interesting especially with uh 
Debuchet's comments was he also signaled out the lip-syncing aspect of, of The Tonight Show, which has now spawned its own program. And I will say that watching that show, uh, Lip Sync Battle, on Spike TV, hosted by, who is it? I think it's LL Cool J, isn't it? It is LL Cool J, that's correct. Um, but it does feel like, even just in the bits I've watched, it does feel like I am watching all the really cool kids at my high school have a really fun party. And <laughs> I'm, I'm allowed to watch that. And that is kind of weird. I mean, it gave us the rock lip syncing shake it off. So it is perfection, technically, on Absolutely. all levels. Yes. But it is, it is, if you want the crystallization of this idea, that's where, that's where you are. It's like, oh, look, Emily Blunt and Anne Hathaway are having a fun time, uh, you know, doing dancing together like that's that's the thing that's happening on television i it's not inclusive it doesn't advance the form of comedy in any grammatic respect but it's there right absolutely and that's that's kind of the point for me it's that it's not trying to advance comedy in any way shape or form it's literally just trying to be its own entity and exist as is and now it's not even on the tonight show anymore it's not even taking up that time it's its own spin-off show you know, coming from the world of the Tonight Show, but I mean, if that's what they're going to keep doing with these things, and then they get their own, you know, fifteen-minute block on the internet somewhere, or they get their own fifteen-minute block, you know, on Spike TV or another, you know, secondary universal network, that's fine. Like, go ahead, let them do that, and then there will be more opportunities for, uh, you know, new challenging comedy to come back onto broadcast. And again, like you said, it's all about discovery right now. It's all about trying new things. This is cyclical. The game show element will pass. I mean, there will be elements of it, I think, for a long time now, but I don't think it's going to be the new standard that that will overtake, you know, the full 90 minutes of The Tonight Show. Right. Um... But to go to something, uh, go to one thing we've mentioned about, like, the concept of being bored. This is something I think that uh, is uh, is reflected in another bit of kind of large-scale late-night show news uh, from the weekend. So Jon Stewart um, uh, did a very candid interview with The Guardian uh, that published this weekend that basically was like, here's why I left The Daily Show. And it isn't too far off comments-wise from other stuff he'd said uh, you know, like basically his initial announcement of like this job deserves someone who is more committed to it than I, or more passionate about it than I am. I'm paraphrasing those, but it was along those lines. Uh, it w- it goes from that to this week. It, you know, it, it, his, his statement has now evolved to he's finding it like hard to keep engaged, and he references being kind of depressed by the fact that he's he's covered four elections, and this one, this upcoming one, doesn't look like it's going to be any different from the others, and. He just doesn't want to deal with that. Yeah, I mean, it's a very human reaction to something that I think a lot of us are holding outside of that standard. And I mean, Jon Stewart, for as much as he's done and as impressive as he is, he's still a man who is going to get tired and he's going to, he has to deal with his own life first. And I think that's, I think we can all relate to what he's saying. I think as much as we'd all love to see him on, you know, on the Daily Show until he's, you know, older and grayer and, and, you know, we just can't even recognize him anymore. I think we'd all love that, but at the same time, he needs this. Like, you just have to respect that. I mean, it was a good interview, and it's great reasoning. Like, I, I, it's the perfect 
exit for somebody if they're going to exit. Yeah, I mean, it's perfect. And I think the thing that has a lot of people asking still questions is that, you know, we're talking, we're, this conversation is shifting from, a sh- from shows that don't really necessarily have the expectation of real delivery. Like, you know, you don't look to The Tonight Show for scathing political commentary or, you know, revolutionary revolutionary uh, comedy comedy hijinks. But you do look to The Daily Show for at least one of those things. And, you know, that's been a big factor. I feel like, you know, you can kind of sense the pressure that Stewart's put on himself in that interview, and as well as the fact that there are aspects of his job that he just is actively against like or he just actively done with like the fact that he has to a- watch Fox News he he has a really great line about what would take to get him to watch Fox News ever again or uh the fact that you know in a, with a lot of the interviews he has to do he basically he says like I can BS anyone for 6 minutes uh which is kind of, which is something you can generally tell with some of his interviews <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I mean, that's that's kind of the thing where the the only similarity where these two where these two kinds of breeds of comedy cross over is is at that you know his couch, like when when he has a, yeah. a, had his chair and somebody came over and, and talked to him and it was a celebrity and they were sponsoring a movie and you know sometimes it wasn't a very good movie but you know John Stewart would find a way to make it interesting, find a way to to talk to them and and then he'd get back to the news itself and for you know two-thirds, you know, three-fourths of his show, every night he's waging a war on things done wrong. The prominent news organizations of this country are making mistakes, and he's the one who's there to check them and try to correct them, or at least try to suggest a new way to go about it. And, I mean, that's just got to get exhausting, especially when, as a few people have pointed out, He's getting, you know, maybe two million viewers a night at, at best, and that's not a huge dent. There's a ton of people watching online. There's a ton of, you know, ways that this spreads through social media. But I'm a huge fan of The Daily Show. I definitely don't watch it nightly. I mean, you just can't. Yeah, the thing with The Daily Show is I'm exactly the same way. Like, I don't watch regularly, but I like knowing that Jon Stewart is there. If I need, if I need to know that there's a voice, I need to know that there's a voice of reason somewhere talking about this stuff and Jon Stewart is there and then eventually he's going to hand over the reins to Trevor Noah and that will be awkward um, <laughs> at this point but right. I, I still I, I think the thing I'm continually thinking about these days is the fact that Trevor Noah is only 31 years old which depending on what age you are feels either very young or very old or kind of maybe just a little too young like Jessica Williams I think when, when people had that big up you know big fervor over her you know, being of obvious contender to take over the job she was like i don't feel ready yet and she's and she's 28 years old and that's and that, i think she probably has a pretty good head on her shoulders for knowing that about herself and knowing that she wants more time to develop and grow yeah i didn't know if they'd had some sort of backdoor conversation with her already to give her the confidence to say what she said but when she came out on twitter so vehemently against taking that on with such utterly amazing reasoning like I don't even know how better to put it like I don't know I mean her denial is almost enough to make me want her to do it because of the I mean it's it's a very sound reason like it's, yeah. it's a good way to say no to something because 
you just don't think you're ready for it. And I, I mean, it's almost like Trevor Noah has the opposite reaction to it. Like he's, he wants to just take it on and do it and go after it no matter what. That's the impression that I get at least from like all of the, all of the stories and, and, and analyses and, and random tweets that have been overanalyzed. And it's just, I mean, they had to go with somebody. We'll see what happens. I mean, the thing is, it's not going to be him writing alone. He's going to have a lot of time to learn. I just, it's the fact that, you know, John Stewart was 37 when he took over the job originally. And that's a long time ago, and a long time ago. And he had a very well established presence. But, you know, there is, there is kind of that, it'll be a different show. I think it'll, it's similar to how, you know, James Corden's late, late show has evolved into a very different thing from, uh, Craig Ferguson so far and like they're still fi- feeling their oats and figuring out what they want to do yeah and I think people are I think people are ready to admit that because they've seen it in writing so many times like we've seen that argument presented by Stewart by Comedy Central saying it is going to be a different show before I mean Stewart even quit whenever somebody talked about it that was what we were understanding but to to know the words and to think about what different means to think about all the different ways that could go like the ways that the host could take it, the way that the format could be taken, the way that the purpose will be altered by the host and his attitude, or I mean, her attitude, but his now. I mean, that's something that's really hard to comprehend until you see somebody sitting in the chair and you watch them do it. So I'm I'm trying to just be patient, and I'm on your side too. Like, he's just young. Like, he's, I mean, everything we're talking about with him, he's just a young kid. We're yeah. gonna, he's going to define himself once he gets behind the chair, but beforehand, I, I just don't think it's worth talking about. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's worth noting that in the next year, we're, we, we already have actually a female late-night talk show host. Uh, Grace Helbig recently launched the Grace Helbig Show, which is very unconventional. Yeah. It's um, no, 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 there's no set. She does a lot of stuff just with her friends in various locations, like her driving around with Retta. I need to really dig into it before I can talk properly talk about it, but it seems a really interesting experiment for E. Yeah. And if it's something that can really, if if her if her if Grace Helbig has a pre-established uh, YouTube fandom, if she can translate that to the television audience as well, like that's a huge win for both sides of the equation. Yeah. Um, and we're also going to see Chelsea Handler, who is Chelsea Handler is increasingly interesting to me because she, especially because of how she's just come out and said I had to quit E because I was so sick of talking about the Kardashians. (laughs) And to me, I have a lot of respect for someone who's just like, oh God, I signed up for this thing and I got a lot of leeway to do what I want, but wow, it's taken me down a path I'm not really happy with in the long run. And so I'm really excited to see, I'm excited to see who she is when she's really want, really gets to be herself. Cause I don't know who that is, frankly. Yeah, I am. I am too. And again, this goes back to kind of what we talked about earlier, where there's just so many platforms and voices for comedy out there, and not just comedy, but opinions. Like mm-hmm. People who are who are trying to be funny, but also trying to make a difference out there. And I mean, honestly, anyone who's really looking for the next version of The Daily Show, or really is worried about Jon Stewart leaving and not having anyone to turn to, for me at least, it's already been proven that John Oliver is somebody you can go to in that realm. Mm-hmm. What he's doing on HBO is completely different from what anybody else is doing. It's easy to compare the the you know, formal elements of it to The Daily Show, 
but the format that the the way that he decides how long he's going to talk about something, he decides the topic. He doesn't like the news cycle generate as much as the other shows do, and because he's only doing it once a week, it really allows him to to make an imprint on, with with what he has to say. He speaks loudly once a week, and he speaks louder than everyone else. As a result, Absolutely. Um, I'm just thinking right now about how in six months' time, if Grace Helvig doesn't get if Grace Helvig keeps up the E show. And then Chelsea Handler's Netflix first like Netflix whatever she's doing gets launched in the fall, and then Samantha Bee's TBS series gets uh, finds a foothold. Next fall we could be having we could be doing an entire podcast just bitching on man. Can we just stop having all these fe- blonde female comedians on <laughs> on talking about their opinions and stuff? God, it's just so tiring. There are like three of them now. Well, hopefully, I mean, you know, then if that's six months from now. You know, another six months, maybe we're we're ready for something new, and then Jessica Williams getting closer to thirty, and she can get her own show. I mean, if we're just counting, we're just counting down the days until Jessica Williams is old enough to feel confident, feel ready enough to have her own show. Yeah, because she's she's not, it's not a confidence issue; she just doesn't want to do it yet. No, and and whatever she does next is something that I'm immediately ready for. Like we we are we're ready to see what happens from all of these very intelligent people and and I think we're really lucky that we're able to do that we're very lucky that there's enough you know networks or original content developers out there who are going to provide it they're going to support it and it's I mean we're going to have too much content we're just going to have too much to talk about too much to engage with every day don't we already yeah yeah Yeah. which is the scary thing that seems like a good transition to uh, last thing next thing Uh, so Ben, what was the last thing you watched that you really liked? Well, since we're talking about very important comedy right now and the state of modern comedy, um, I think it's very valuable that the last thing that I watched that I really enjoyed was Workaholics on Amazon. I know it's a Comedy Central show, but I'm catching up on the last seasons because I haven't, I haven't been with it in a couple years. Sure. Um, and I, I love this show. I, I just find it hysterical. It's completely juvenile and... and it's, it's not predictable, but it's it's also somewhat familiar. Mm-hmm. But man, those three guys—they just—they—they uh, they know how to make you laugh. They're very—they're very funny people. That's nice. I mean, they seem like the nice kind of comedy team where they have such great chemistry, established through years of working together. Yeah, they really. I mean, this is their show. They're doing exactly what they want to do with it, and it's it's very fun to watch. Nice. Um, my thing is, I finally I'd I'd been waiting on waiting to sit down with these forever but I and I finally did uh I've now seen the first two episodes of Orphan Black season three and the thing with that show people have been complaining about how the plot is starting to feel a little you know they're like they're not sure about the way that the the, the show's plotting they're not sure that the show's plotting is effective and clear perhaps um and my reaction to it is yeah I'm, there, there are elements that I'm definitely like a little shakier on than I might be, but the just the execution of a lot of the sci-fi, quasi-sci-fi elements, and of course, you know, the fact that you get so engaged with every single clone as a character, which is kind of a beautiful thing because you you really do forget you're watching one actor play the same role yeah. across the board. And I got, I got, and I have to say, I got kind of sucked into the mystery of the, uh, the, the mystery and the, 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 the action. Like, it's a show that moves really fast. It doesn't linger on any one plot point. It, it, well, it can, I guess. But, you know, for the most, 
for the most part, it doesn't really hesitate to keep up with certain plot threads and really keep keep things moving probably faster than you'd expect. And as a result, I've, you know, I'm, I was one of those things where I kind of watched my, my screeners and then at the end of episode two, I was like, but wait, episode three is not here. Yeah, I've got a couple of friends who just recently binge watched, I think also on Amazon. Um, and they, I mean, they became addicted so quickly. They're normally the kind of people who, even if they like a show, they might watch an episode or two and then just stop, you know, for a week, a month, if not indefinitely, even if they really like it. But with Orphan Black, they're so addicted that they're already bothering me about trying to get, uh, you know, when the next thing is coming. They're just right. like, Ben, when is it happening? Get it to us. Let us figure it out. And I was like, guys, you can't just come over to my house and watch BBC America because you don't get it. But look, I'll record it. We'll figure out a time and Aww. get it done. But yeah. They're excited. It's that kind of show. <laughs> it is that kind of show. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a small fan base, but the fan base it has is very loyal, which is yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, so next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, Happyish on Showtime. Yeah. I think you are as well. Maybe even for the long term, you have been more than I have. I have. I have consistently been. Ben, we should talk right about Happyish. I mean, you've been. Eh. But but you've now actually watched some of it. Yeah, yeah, I really I really uh, enjoy it. I really think it is, you know, somewhat shockingly at this point, another fresh take on kind of the midlife crisis of of humanity. Like, I mean, it's not what I really like about the show is that it's not just about Steve Coogan's character who took over for uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, but it's also about Catherine Hahn's character, his wife. And they really kind of give them equal screen time, at least an episode and a half that I've watched so far. And that's what makes it much more interesting to me. It's not just about a man who's been working at somewhere too long and gets sick of it. Um, And there's also a very original kind of development that the show takes. The structuring of it is is unique. And, I mean, it's very quick. It's very sharp. Uh, All the actors are are at the top of their game. And um, for the longest time... I was just bummed out. I was. It was just one of those things where it's like Philip Seymour Hoffman died. I don't necessarily want to talk about this comedy right now, but now that it's here and I'm trying to engage with it as its own entity without him, it it works pretty well. That's great. I mean, that that's genuinely reassuring because I I know that you like. There's times when I when you talk about a show you have high expectations for, and it meets them and then there are times when you have low expectations for a show and it exceeds them so this is actually reassuring yeah this is this is another one where I'm very interested to see where it goes especially plot wise I'm interested to see kind of where they decide to take these people because it seems like the average Joe story but um but yeah I I, uh I'll be interested to see you know episodes 6 through 10 to see what they do with it once the turning point has to hit but uh, but what about you, Liz? What are you looking forward to? Um, you're gonna you're gonna be mad at me about oh, this. God. <laughs> no, I have a good reason for it though. I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward at this point to the season finale of Scandal. Uh, okay, well that's fine. I'm okay with Scandal. I mean, okay, but the thing the, I I caught up on I've been catching up on Scandal. It's a show that sometimes slips slips under low on the list, and. The thing with this this season has been this is the first season where I've really agreed with everyone where it's like, you know, there are some there are plot threads that are bogging down the the fun of the show. The fun of the show is definitely compromised by certain choices they've made with characters 
to make, you know, hey, that lovable character from season one is now kind of a psychopath. Oh, man, you always want her to go the other way. Psychopath, and you love him. I, don't you just always love psychopath? I don't well, know. Like Summer Roberts on the OC, you know, you just you, she was <laughs> terrible when you started, but then you know by the midpoint in the I'm first season, really it's like, I love just, Summer. I'm just so glad you got to fit in a, a, a OC reference here. I could always do it. Yes. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> um, but the thing is, I think that they there's a there feels like an awareness of these problems, and it feels like they're moving certain pieces in the play that will fix them. Hmm. And they will either fix them or they won't in the season finale. Ooh. So, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. And I think that's about it for us. You can find Ben on Be- at Ben T. Travers on the Twitter. And you can find Liz at Lizlet with an I and an E on the Twitters. Yeah. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. And keep watching television. 